Amen. Let us uh, turn then to our confessional reading, uh, Lord's Day 7. Question and answer uh, 22. We're looking at the last two question and answers of Lord's Day 7. Question answer 22 and then uh, 23. So you see, we we will still be saying the Apostles' Creed tonight. But we begin with question and answer 22. I'll read the question. Let's together say the answer. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the Gospel, a summary of which is taught us, in the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith. Question 23. What are these articles? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us turn then to the Holy Word of God, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We'll be reading and looking at verses 30 and 31, page 1154 in the blue ESV Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Just these two verses. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So far the reading, the holy word of God. Dear Brothers and sisters, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, John, in his gospel, is not giving a a news reel. Uh, He is not giving a biography of the life of Jesus Christ, although we might say it has uh, biographical details in a sense. It is is no mere biography or news reel. No, this this is a gospel. This is a good news Uh, This is a book written with that specific purpose, recording, therefore, 
specific acts and specific events in the life of Jesus Christ for that express purpose. This is the gospel uh, concerning Jesus Christ. This is the good news of salvation in Him. And so it has this very purpose that we would be called to believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. And so uh, this uh, purpose statement of of the whole book is simply uh, restated slightly for our theme this evening that the call to faith begins and ends with the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're uh, taking notes, we're going to first look at the starting place of faith. Then we're going to look at faith continuing. And then we're going to look at the final place of faith. Well, John tells us here in in John 20, and John chapter 21 has been called the epilogue of the book. So in in one sense, this is the the concluding uh, word. He tells us here his purpose, uh, but this this has been seen all through John. And so if you turn back to John chapter 1 with me, uh, we see it already there in the first verses. We see it in John 1 verses 6 and 7. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And now who is the John there of John 1 verse 6? Well, that is John the Baptist. That is not John the disciple, the author of this book. Uh, in order to to find out that John the disciple is the author of this book, uh, you kind of have to uh, take a number of clues and kind of do uh, some deductive reasoning and, and narrow it down to uh, this reference here and this reference here. Well, it must be John. Because nowhere in the entire gospel account given to us by John, John the disciple does John the disciple mention himself by name. Any reference to John is to John the Baptist. And further than this, there are events in the life of Jesus Christ where we might expect John's gospel to give us special details because John is part of what's sometimes called the inner circle of the disciples. And so sometimes Jesus would only take three of his disciples with him John and Peter and James. And we might expect that in the events that the other Gospels tell us, that John was there, that now here we come to the Gospel of John and and we're going to see some special details about those events. But John does not say anything about the events where he was one of only three people there. John does not say anything about the raising of of, uh, the daughter of Jairus. John does not say anything about going to the Mount of Transfiguration and seeing the glory of God unveiled. He does not mention his own name at all. Why, Why is this? John, even as he was a John the disciple, even as he was a member of that inner circle of the disciples, is clearly intent that his own close relationship to Jesus Christ will not become the focus of this gospel. 
He is going to completely omit his own name. He's going to omit events where he could have given us specific details because he was one of the few people there to witness it. He's going to skip over those entirely. He is very concerned to keep the name of Jesus Christ at the center of this account. This is the gospel This is the very reason why it was written. And so uh, John the disciple has learned the lesson uh, that John the Baptist declares the lesson for each one of us. John 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He being Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. And so uh, all throughout from, from the very beginning, Uh, when John the Disciple repeats the uh, purpose of John the Baptist's ministry in the the first words of the Gospel, and now here in this purpose statement of the Gospel, the focus is on Jesus Christ. The focus is on the call to believe in Jesus Christ. And who is that call for? Well, John has told us in in a beautiful way, in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Is it for the Jews and for the Gentiles? Is it for men and for women? Is it for those who uh, might have an outward appearance of obedience to the law and also for those whose outward life is very evidently against the law of God? Yes, it is for everyone. It is for Nicodemus, the teacher of the law, the man who wanted to speak to Jesus by night. It is for the Samaritan woman at the well who had no husband. It is for every man and woman. It is for every Jew and Gentile. It is for everyone, whether they have what might be called an outward appearance of obedience or whether they have had an outward life that is visibly against the law of God in in many apparent ways. It, 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 It does not matter. This call is for everyone. It is the call to Jesus Christ. It is the call to the only one who was truly righteous. It is the call to believe in Him. That's what uh, the Gospel of John is all about. And so uh, all through John, including in those two chapters, we, we have that call to believe. Jesus said it this way to Nicodemus in John 3.15, that whoever believes in him, the Son of Man, may have eternal life. And then clearly speaking about life in himself, no no kind of veiled comment in any way. Uh, John, Jesus says it this way to the Samaritan woman in John 4, uh, verses 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so whoever you are, wherever you are from, the call is the same. Believe in Jesus Christ. Now in our first two points, uh, here at the end of our first point and again at the end of our second point in a little while, I want to talk briefly about the relationship between the law and the gospel. The, the law 
cannot save us. There is a, there's a well-used illustration. It's taken many different uh, uh, forms and different emphases uh, over the centuries. And it is the illustration of being saved from a fire as an illustration for uh, being saved from the spiritual fire, being saved uh, in our soul. And uh, one of the uh, points of that illustration, which I appreciate, is that you can talk about the alarm bell that goes off for the fire. And what is the alarm bell? Well, the alarm bell is like the law. It serves a purpose. It has a use. But of course, the alarm going off does not itself save you. It only can do what? It can only make you alert to the danger. Now, uh, what is the gospel? The gospel is that as we uh, are alert to the danger of our sins, as we are alert to, uh, to the fire of judgment, we call out in repentance. And now I think the best, the best form of this illustration is when it's a child that is calling out, a child that is old enough to know there is danger, but too young to know how to get through the danger. And then the rescuer comes. And the rescuer grabs hold of the small child and carries the small child to safety. And all the small child does is cling to the arms of the rescuer. The warning bell has served its perfect purpose. The, the, the warning bell has alerted us to danger. And we, we call out. We, we recognize our danger. We, we repent of our sins. We say, Lord, save me. But salvation itself comes when Jesus Christ, our rescuer, grabs hold of us and takes us to safety. And all that we do is cling with childlike faith and trust. Jesus is the beginning of salvation. The law has a purpose, but the law does not save. Jesus Christ saves. And so the, 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 in, the, in a very real sense, the first and the last word is this. Believe in Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. Well, now let's, let's come to our second point. Faith continuing. Uh, for the, fall, the, the call to faith begins and ends with Christ. Uh, but let us never think that the call to faith is a word that we hear one time, a hand raised when the voice asks if we have accepted Jesus into our hearts, and then everything is all over until we're brought to eternal life and there's nothing in between. Uh, no, we, we need Christ in the beginning. We need Christ at the end. We behold Christ in the end. And we need Christ in every step in between. We can think of this in terms of uh, Paul and Silas with the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. What is the first word? What is the beginning of salvation? How is the question answered? When the Philippian jailer in, in Acts uh, chapter 16, in Acts chapter 16, uh, uh, Paul and Silas, they're, uh, they're miraculously uh, freed from their, their prison bonds. And then, and then the, the jailer is, is all worried that everyone has escaped. But Paul cries out, do not harm yourself or we are all here. And then uh, the, the jailer comes before him and he brought them out. In verse 30, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And so where, where does the answer begin? Well, it begins with Christ. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Well, there it is. There is the first word. That is the gospel. That is where salvation begins. What must I do to be saved? Believe in Jesus Christ. And then what? Did Paul and Silas leave the Philippian jailer and never speak to him again? No, they did not. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And they baptized him and his family. And they rejoiced that he believed in God. You see, salvation is the call to faith, but, but we should not think it is, it is just one moment and then everything is done. We're not told explicitly that the Philippian jailer is one of the, one of the uh, church members present when the letter is read to the Philippian church, but uh, we can guess and we can assume that he almost certainly was. And so uh, the ministry of Paul and Silas does not end after that one uh, great question and the, and the single beginning of the answer. The ministry continues and it is an ongoing ministry. The importance of the continued work in the life of those who uh, believe in Jesus Christ was impressed upon uh, Dawson and Trotman early in his life. Now Dawson Trotman was born at the beginning of the 1900s and uh, he was uh, he was converted in I believe his late teens and somewhere in his early years and he was he was gifted and he was passionate to share the gospel with others he was he was both gifted and passionate and and eager to do this and so he he became uh, he became uh, what he would call himself a soul winner uh, he would he would share the gospel uh, wherever he had opportunity and and with his gifts and his passion he would uh, he would lead people to to make a declaration for for Christ, and uh, and uh, this was the beginning of the 1900s, and so uh, hitchhiking was a common thing back then. Some of our young people might not even know what hitchhiking is anymore, and um, and uh, there was one time when he picked up a hitchhiker as he would often do, and then he shared the gospel as he always did, and uh, it became uh, it became evident to both Dawson Trotman and this hitchhiker who was sitting with him, that they had had exactly the same conversation one year before. And that he had spoken the gospel of Jesus Christ and spoken about uh, believing in Jesus Christ and you're saved. And the man had done that one year before and now here they were a year later. And, and the man was ready to do the same thing again. Now what this... Uh, what this impressed upon Dawson and Trotman was the necessity of not only declaring where the gospel is, where it begins, the call to believe in Jesus Christ, but also the need for continued uh, ministry and work and discipleship. And so uh, Navigator Ministries was born. There was this emphasis not only on the call to faith, but also on faith continuing upon discipleship. Or we can say it this way, if we just open up Lord's Day 7 and uh, we look at the question and answers, question and answer 22 is what must be done. It is the first and starting point. 
It is like the question of the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? Where does the answer begin? What is the first thing we say? All that is promised in the gospel. You need the good news, the word of Jesus Christ. Uh, but uh, we are then called to continue in faith. We then think about uh, the, the basic definition of who the triune God is and so we look ahead to question and answer 23 or we can look back at, at question and answer 21 which we considered uh, last week for those who are here and, and we read there about how true faith is uh, not only a sure knowledge by which I hold has true all that God has revealed to us in His Word. See, faith uh, very much begins with Jesus Christ and, and uh, faith ends with Jesus Christ but uh, along the road uh, let us uh, let us not think it's one moment and then and then something at the end. No, we, we are to, to trust in Christ, to grow in Christ along the way. But at this point, let us remember uh, that it's not as though Christ is just there at the beginning and then Christ is there at the end when we'll have face-to-face fellowship with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. No, at this point, before we go to our third point, who is Christ along the way? Christ also carries us along the way. Christ is also the one who uh, sanctifies us along the way. Christ is the beginning. Christ is the end. Christ is the one who leads us on every step in between. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Jesus Christ is the first word. Jesus Christ is is the last word. Jesus Christ and our union with Him is how we are carried along the way. Well, what is the final place of faith? Faith begins and and ends with Christ Jesus and then uh, even to life eternal with Christ Jesus. And so uh, the final place of faith is this, that all believers may have life in His name. Clinging to Christ, believing in Christ, He brings us to Himself and to His eternal home. Uh, the, The... great shore of eternal rest is that where we are brought by the uh, by the connecting strand of faith now uh, at this at this uh, moment i'm uh, going to give an illustration about faith that that speaks a specific thing uh, it's an illustration of of the contrast between faith and that which we might want to grab hold of in this world. Uh, and uh, as we continue on faith, I'm, I'm taking another illustration from Charles Spurgeon's little book at, around the, the wicked gate. And uh, Spurgeon speaks about this picture of a boat that is overturned uh, above a, a massive waterfall. Okay. And then two of the men uh, fall out of the boat and they're unable to get to the shore. So they're being pulled by the current to the waterfall. Now what happens? You're, you're going to, uh, to throw a line to the two men. 
And, and in the illustration, uh, a rope is thrown out and, and it has a connection to the shore of safety. And both men take hold of the rope. Uh, but, it, but it doesn't look like a strong rope. It's connected to the shore, but, but it, it looks to be this, this little slender thing. And so one of the two men sees this, this big log coming down the river, and he decides that that looks much more secure. And he lets go of the rope, and he grabs hold of the log that is flowing past him. But of course, the log has no connection with the shore of safety. And so as sturdy and as big and as firm and as great as that log looks, the man who has has let go of the connection to the shore, he is swept over the waterfall. Now, remember, this this is a picture of one particular thing about faith. That faith is the connecting line to safety. You know, in one sense, faith seems much less than a slender line. Faith is related to invisible things. Remember the language of the author of Hebrews. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so what is the temptation in this life? What is the temptation for those of you here who are younger, older, in between? Faith is not a visible thing. In many ways, it is less to us physically than even a slender rope. Do you think there is a temptation to grab hold of the logs of the earth? Now, in a spiritual sense, it makes no sense. God has told us in his word, it is only by faith in Jesus Christ that there is a safe line to the shore of eternal rest. But practically speaking, faith is invisible. I cannot see it. And here comes this log. What what kind of logs are we talking about? Well, let's continue to use the language of Hebrews chapter 11. So Hebrews 11 goes on and thinks and and talks about things like, uh, you know, Moses by faith, not looking at the glories of being a prince in Egypt and all that came with it. And so by faith, he did not grab hold of the very visible fleeting pleasures of sin. Okay, so now so now give those logs a name. Any sin that looks good to any one of us. And I'm not going to go through a list. I'm going to ask you to consider in your own heart what are what are some sins that look especially good to you. And there it comes. 
And it's so visible and it's so inviting. And the line of faith, it's it's less than a slender rope. It's invisible. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's, it's not something I can see. I can't see spiritual warfare. I can't see my soul. Brothers and sisters, young and old, each and every one of us has a invisible soul. And our invisible soul is only brought to the eternal shore of safety by faith that we cannot see. But faith is real. Jesus Christ is real. And the shore of safety is real even as the falls of destruction are also real. Cling to Christ. Cling by faith to Christ. That is is the only way to salvation and safety. And it is not just any salvation and safety. Finally, all the blessings that we have in Christ will be plainly visible. The new heavens and the new earth, God brings all things together. He gives eternal life. All of the spiritual renewal is completely perfected. All of the physical renewal, which has not yet started as our body is still sown in, in, in weakness and, and dishonor and, and is sown into, into the, the grave because we're still under the curse of death. All of that, all of it is completely gone and we can see it. We can see in the eternal heavens and, and new earth not only life and health and beauty and strength, but we see Christ Himself who is the focus of our faith, who in glory is there and says, well done, good and faithful servant. And says, here is the wedding feast for everyone, for every tribe and nation and tongue. For all who believe in me. And so, our salvation begins with Jesus Christ. It ends with Jesus Christ. He carries us along the way. And John is uh, written, the Gospel of John is is written in a a specific way uh, to call to faith. Uh, We might say that uh, another uh, book of John is is a little bit more uh, difficult to understand, and that's the book of Revelation, and that's written more specifically to the churches. But let's conclude with really the same thing said in a different way at the end of the book of Revelation. The words of Jesus, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each of you for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. The end is eternal life with Christ. He says, come. He says, believe. Let us believe. Let us come. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may we heed the call to faith and may we see Christ at the beginning and 